I'm very lucky. I've been part of two unicorns. I was part of um, Funtech in Israel. I was part of Ernex in Israel that both became unicorns. And actually, I started to look for my next role. One of the key things I was looking was to have purpose. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Just sit back, relax, and learn from the leaders of today. It's a journey. Each one is different, unique, inspiring. Let's get started. This episode is powered by JVentures, a community-driven VC fund in Silicon Valley, in partnership with Leumitech, sponsored by Homeward Ventures, Hippo Insurance, Upwest Labs, Synergy Global, Hillel at Stanford, Leap, Birthright Excel, Serona Partners, and in media partnership with C-Tech. Welcome to 20 Minute Leaders. Today, I'm honored to be joined by Peter Reynolds, the Chief Revenue Officer of Thetaray. But his journey is much more than that. An accomplished fintech executive and global sales leader with extensive experience building world-class and high-performing revenue organizations that achieve hyper-growth. Peter brings two decades of experience selling enterprise software into financial institutions, fintechs, and global corporations, and has end-to-end accountability for Thetaray's revenue organization. Prior to joining Thetaray as Chief Revenue Officer, Peter started his career at HSBC before holding senior sales leadership positions at Ernix, Funtech, Rival, and Thomson Financial. Peter is a regular contributor to the industry dialogue. As a well-respected thought leader, he holds a law degree from London Guildhall University. This is really an interesting conversation about a revenue chief, revenue officer, different career trajectories, and how Peter sees his own career in the world. Enjoy. I appreciate you coming here and um, spending these 20 minutes talking a little bit about your own journey. Today is, uh, today is Chief Revenue Officer in the fintech and AI space. Um, very, very interesting space that, that we're seeing unfold over these last few years. And, and you have a very non-trivial career trajectory, uh, starting out from a, from a pretty interesting story that, that I have to start with. Um, it has to do with the army, your brother, and uh, in an interview. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah. So I didn't do as well as my, uh, you know, my uh, A-levels, what you'd call college. I didn't quite get the grades I needed to go to law school. Um, so my parents were away one summer and I thought uh, I thought I'd take the, I don't know if I, I, at the time I thought it was the easy way out and go and join the military. Uh, I'm kind of, don't think it would have been the easy way out at all, number one. But luckily I had an older brother who, while I was kind of uh, out with friends, actually applied to a different law school, did the interview for me. And I came back and uh, after a kind of few nights of partying and wondering what to do with my life. And my big brother said to me, were well, you going to law school? So uh, that was that and uh, kind of led to a, what I would say a career of falling into the right thing at the right time. It's done me well that. Amazing. And so if you're now looking at a little bit more broadly about you know, your career and uh, all the way leading up to today's CRO of Thetaray, how do you reason through it? Sort of what, what, what is what, what is sort of the guiding star for you as you're going through these different organizations that, that all seem to have, you know, a similar path and, and are dealing with similar issues? But what is sort of your North Star as you're navigating through them? Yeah. Um, so, look, I, I do put a lot of what I have achieved as being in the right place at the right time. Um, but I also believe that you put yourself in the right place at the right time. So I, I, I would honestly say that if you were to meet any CEO I've ever worked for, 
they would tell you that I've been aiming at becoming a CRO, you know, since day one. I I was kind of lucky. I I fell out of kind of I fell into investment banking out of law school, working for HSBC in the times when there were lots of jobs in finance, so it was fairly easy to get a job. Enjoyed it, but didn't. It wasn't really me. The the kind of stuffy environment of of a of a British investment bank, and and what really fell into what was my first sales role in technology, which was Thomson Financial, now now Thomson Reuters, and sold terminals and, and absolutely loved it, knew nothing about it, was kind of given the role by a friend of a friend, seemed to be quite good at sales. And then from there, really fell into what was software as a service. It was a, a coincidental meeting. One of the partners of Thomson Financial was a derivative risk management startup called Reval that sold this thing called software as a service. There'd been a number of accounting scandals in the world that I knew nothing about, like Enron. And there was a change in how corporates and banks had to account for derivatives and risk. And I I got to know the CEO of this company. And he said, look, why don't you set us up in, in Europe? I think I was like 23 at the time. I didn't really know what that meant. I didn't really know what options were, but he said, you know, come and come and do this. And it led to probably the best learning of my life, which was 10 years going from a, you know, a sales executive through to running sales and everything in between in a high growth private equity backed organization. So I think that's kind of gave me the the foundation for everything else I've done in my life. Amazing. And, and the fascination with fintech and AI and, and that intersection, was that something that, that was coming from before? Or was that something that you started to understand more and more as you were continuing with your career? Yeah, I suppose I knew nothing about technology as I went into it. I think what I learned, one of the biggest things I learned in, in my days at Reval was that there's something, a problem a business has that they need to solve. And that technology will solve it. And that the whole emergence of what we used to call internet-based technology or or cloud as it became cooler, and then software as a service, was a very easy way for companies to do things that were quite complex in a fairly easy way. So that kind of grew from there into the payment space and into AI. And, and now I'm absolutely um, you know, fully focused on how. This industry can help very large organizations take something that's a well-known concept like AI, but put it into production and actually start using it in production rather than so many companies that talk a good game, but don't actually use it. Mm-hmm. And so where, where are we at today in your perspective in fin- fintech and AI? Yeah, I mean, it's 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 fascinating. So. I'm the the CRO of Theteray, and Theteray is a, an incredibly interesting organization. We help fintechs, we help large banks, we help governments protect against things they're not meant to do, such as they're not have meant they don't need to have money laundering, they don't need terrorism funding, they can't be um, you know helping with the proceeds of drug trafficking, any kind of people trafficking, anything like that. And we use AI in production to actually help them protect against that. So if you think about what I've just said, this is a very regulated environment. So this is something mm-hmm. where regulators really watch and see what people are doing and make sure they do it well enough. And so what I've seen in the last few years is this move from 
AI being a buzzword that everyone wants to play with in the innovation department of every organization to AI becoming game changing in mission critical activities, such as, you know, how can we identify the difference between a payment Michael's making and the payment a terrorist organization is making? They might look the same, right. they might feel the same. That's a huge leap forward in the in AI being a genuine benefit to society and to banks and to payments and to fintechs and everything else that we talk about. Now, is this transition from buzzword to production ready? Is that mainly a you know matter of technology being ready and accessible, or is there or are there different shifts in consumer behavior that are allowing for these types of technologies to be adopted into into these companies? Look, there's three huge things going on at the moment. And number one, of course, you've got an improvement in AI. No, no doubt you've got improvement in technologies that make it something you can do. That said, a lot of what we're doing at the moment you could have done years ago, but it's something that maybe the market is now ready to understand and explain. But, you know, take a step back what's happened in the world. So firstly, we've got digitization and cross-border payments, right? If I want to pay you some money from London to where you are in Palo Alto, it's going to go through about four or five different banks. And each of those banks are going to be liable for you and I being good people and the payment being something that we should accept. Now, that's not possible unless you use things like AI. So it's become needed. And then I think more importantly, look, a year ago, this space was interesting. A year ago, you saw banks getting multi-million dollar fines. You saw all sorts going on in the market. Now we're in a situation where, rightly or wrongly, but um, you know, global governments have decided to fight war using things like sanctions. So now you are seeing governments saying, hey, you might not be allowed to accept transactions from this person, this group, this region, whatever it might be. Now, if you think about how you might do that as a bank, if you had individuals involved, you just the, the experience would be the crazy for anyone who wanted to use that financial institution. Mm. And the cost of actually running that would be not even possible. So this has led to a need to use technology and AI to actually say, okay, well, we need to look for certain things. How do we do that? Let's use AI to do that rather than, you know, humans. And that's where I think there has been, and you'll see a, an explosion in this space. But if we're even looking at a solution like the one that Thetaray provides, I mean, we're looking at, you know, these really meaningful questions that you're asking. Some of them are, are critical decision-making points for these organizations. And it, it almost feels like the, these organizations are, you know, depending on, on a third party to provide them the insight and the intelligence Sometimes to determine whether something is as critical as you know a fraudulent uh, a, fra a fraudulent payment or or wrong transaction or or a group that we don't or a transaction that we don't want to find in, fund in general, that's a lot of responsibility on that third party. Is there really willingness in the market for these institutions to outsource that type of decision making that previously was probably done by thousands of bankers? Yeah, great, great question, and I think. The way I see it is that most of the noise, I, I have the privilege of talking to fintechs and banks every day, and most of the noise at the banks is that if you think about the alternative first. So let's say you've got mm -hmm. some, I don't know, sanctions checking. So, hey, someone with this name 
we should stop using our financial institution. I think people have come to terms with the fact that that might be easy to beat, right? I don't think, you know, that that's not the hardest thing for a criminal to get around. So then you go to what happened around, you know, 20, 30 years ago is people started using rules-based systems to say, if A, B and C happen, we might want to look at that transaction. The problem then you have, and this is the problem that all of the financial institutions have or the small nimble firms, they get caught up in so much noise, so much so much what we call false positives, that they end up having huge labor forces looking into everything. And firstly, that costs a lot of money. And secondly, you know, Michael, who's trying to make a payment, is annoyed that it's taking three days, is annoyed that it's costing him 50 bucks to make a payment. So I think where the application of AI comes into play and into its own isn't necessarily making the decision. It's getting rid of the noise, it's learning, and it's saying, Hey, Mr. Bank, these are the transactions you should look at. So firstly, we we limit the volume of noise to something that's very manageable. And secondly, as we start saying, is this bad? Is this good? The model keeps getting better and better so that even if all you're going to say is we can reduce operational overheads by using the um, the AI, this is the kind of thing that we see a lot of um, benefit from. And I think that's something that's game changing to a big organization. Right. And so uh, the interesting distinction here is you're saying that, you know, it, there's a lot of value in simply ranking and prioritizing on where the, where the decision making is taking place. And so there's, you know, there's a, there's a variety of, of where a company like Federate can interject itself into the chain of, of decision making within an organization from ranking to decision making. And obviously with the models getting better and better. Tell me a little bit about Federate as a, as a, as a company in the space and what is sort of the grander vision of of what is possible leveraging ai in the fintech space yeah uh, great question and thank you definitely i'll cover that so thetera is a very very interesting organization that's been around actually more years than you might think and it, it started using and aren't solving problems around big bats of data and looking for for different problems with data that might be apparent to an airline to a to a bank and For a long time, it was solving a number of problems. About three years ago, it got very focused on um, what was very important to us, which is this cross-border payments payments. So Mm -hmm. I think to us, what we're looking at is, 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 you know, a few decades ago, the payment infrastructure of the world, so how I pay you, was advanced to what was thought thought as safe. So there was the SWIFT network, for example. But since then, nothing's happened. And our the vision we have is how do you put trust in the payment network? So how does your bank know where you're sending money is trustworthy and that they can let straight through process and they can let flow, which is what we all want. There's a lot of good people around the world who need to make payments. It's, it's, it's a multi-trillion dollar industry. But how do we weed out the bad? Now, what we can't do, if you think about the way we've been doing it in the past, we can't rely on a on a name or we can't rely on certain things. Like just, for example, if you went to an airport and you had a name on your bag and it was a good name, we wouldn't just chuck it on the plane and say, oh, I'm sure this is fine. And just the same, if it had a different name on, we wouldn't blow it up. What we do is we scan right. all transactions. We look for things that might be a problem. And when we have a problem, we look at them. But if there's no problem, we let them flow. And this is mm-hmm. this is the vision we have for, for the organization is how do you put trust in the payment network? So if I'm a bank, 
if I'm a bank in South Africa and I have payments coming from Michael through correspondent banks that are going on to Tanzania, how do I know to let them go and, and reduce the cost of that process, but only to look at the ones that actually me, my regulator, my, my board want us to look into to make sure we're not facilitating things we shouldn't. Right. And what is the potential here? So if we're looking at the, the scale, because, you know, the, the, world, the fintech is exploding. One, the, as the world becomes more globalized and, and money can travel cross-border, I mean, the opportunities are, are endless. But is there some understanding of what, what, what these companies, what, you know, how many transactions these could happen? What is the rate of growth? You know, some indications of, is there a glass ceiling even to what, to what you're doing here? Yeah, look, the market is is phenomenally big. You know, I'm. I, I, let me take a step back. I'm. I'm very lucky. I've been part of two unicorns. I was part of um, Funtech in Israel. I was part of Ernex in Israel. That both became unicorns. And actually, I started to look for my next role. One of the key things I was looking was to have purpose. Yes, I wanted it to scale, but I wanted to be involved in something that you know gave back. You know, did something good and very positive for society. I'm not saying the other companies didn't. But what I'm saying is, is that it's a very nice conversation when you're talking to fintechs and banks and governments about how they stop people trafficking. That's a good conversation to have. And it makes you feel very warm inside that you're having that conversation. But as I've as I was joining and as I've joined, I realized that this is definitely going to be the biggest company I've ever been part of. When you sell to the fintechs and, and one of the things we have is we have a, a machine that sells to the, the fintechs around the world. <laughs> And we, we, we start working with new organizations on a weekly basis. You know, a, a company that uh, just the other day in the US, we had a company that found us uh, and signed up within 10 days. And, and Michael, you've been in technology wow. to know enough when you're a CRO and you can see how companies can find you and sign agreements in 10 days. This is something that you want to recreate. So in terms of scale, we have this machine that brings um, fintech organizations on board very, very quickly, which is great. And then on top of that, we have the big significant organizations. So there are very large organizations that use uh, large global banks that use us globally. And of course, that scale of that's huge. And we also have governments that use us to actually check that the transactions that the banks are doing are also the ones they should be doing. So when I look at that, and you talk about scale, it's amazing. You know, it's it's one of the things is that Think about cross-border payments. Cross-border payments are going to absolutely keep growing, you know, in, a, in an exponential amount and, and, and rate because the world's becoming so cross-border, right? That we don't any, I don't operate, you don't operate in a world that has barriers. And where we find barriers, we don't like them. If you go to your bank today and they say it's going to cost you 40 bucks to make a payment to the UK, it's going to take you 15 seconds to download an app that's going to charge you two bucks and you're going to do it. And that's what's powering this kind of exponential kind of growth in this area. Incredible. And uh, Peter, it sounds like right field, right time. Um, and, uh, and obviously, I mean, it, it says a lot that you've been a part of so many incredible organizations. And I think that the more that you think about where the world is heading and the opportunities that AI presents, I think it's, 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 it's almost um, too much to understand and to fathom. But I think if you look really tangibly at some of the core problems that, you, that we presented here, this, this idea of can we leverage AI not to necessarily replace, but to augment existing processes, something as, you know, as simple as, as ranking the priorities of what to look at. And, and I think it's, you know, a lot of people tend to go to the extreme and say, okay, no, no way, we can't trust 
this machine to go and replace these thousands of bankers, but, but they don't realize, okay, there is actually some space in between and in which these machines can augment the can augment the banker's behavior and uh, and eliminate the the problem of of human resources essentially and and reduce that problem and so um that was just a, a tiny part of of what we talked about but it's something that specifically I'm taking with me and uh, Peter I really want to thank you for your time and your energy and and it was really really enjoyable on my end and it sounds fascinating work and and an even more fascinating journey overall so thank you very much for coming and sharing it with me and stay safe and stay healthy and uh, best of luck with Thera Thank you very much, Michael. Look forward to uh, listening to your next podcast.